Do you love the American Constitution? We too. Please help letting this podcast survive in the current cancel culture. Amazon recently deleted our Peter Kanzler collection, probably for being too cheap. It was Locke, Hobbes and the US Constitution for only 15 bucks. Check out our Peter Kanzler at Barnes and Noble, Lulu or do a quick DuckDuckGo search to buy American collections that come at the lowest price possible to keep civil law great. That's P-E-T-E-R-K-A-N-Z-L-E-R. Featuring the original texts from Locke, Hobbes, Rousseau, the US Constitution, Machiavelli and many more always bound together in just one book. Thank you very much. Chapter 3 of Book 3 of The Wealth of Nations This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephen Escalera The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith Chapter 3 of Book 3 Of the Rise and Progress of Cities and Towns After the Fall of the Roman Empire the inhabitants of cities and towns were, after the fall of the Roman Empire, not more favored than those of the country. They consisted, indeed, of a very different order of people from the first inhabitants of the ancient republics of Greece and Italy. These last were composed chiefly of the proprietors of lands, among whom the public territory was originally divided, and who found it convenient to build their houses in the neighborhood of one another, and to surround them with a wall, for the sake of common defense. After the fall of the Roman Empire, on the contrary, the proprietors of land seem generally to have lived in fortified castles on their own estates and in the midst of their own tenants and dependents. The towns were chiefly inhabited by tradesmen and mechanics, who seem, in those days, to have been of servile, or very nearly of servile condition. The privileges which we find granted by ancient charters to the inhabitants of some of the principal towns in Europe sufficiently show what they were before those grants. The people to whom it is granted as a privilege that they might give away their own daughters in marriage without the consent of their lord, that upon their death their own children, and not their lord, should succeed to their goods, and that they might dispose of their own effects by will, must, before those grants, have been altogether, or very nearly, in the same state of villainage with the occupiers of land in the country. They seem indeed to have been a very poor, mean set of people, who seem to travel about with their goods from place to place, and from fair to fair, like the hawkers and peddlers of the present times. In all the different countries of Europe, then, in the same manner as in several of the Tartar governments of Asia at present, taxes used to be levied upon the persons and goods of travellers when they passed through certain manners, when they went over certain bridges, when they carried about their goods from place to place in a fair, when they erected in it a booth or stall to sell them in. These different taxes were known in England by the names of passage, pontage, lastage, and stallage. Sometimes the king, sometimes a great lord, who had, it seems, upon some occasions authority to do this, would grant to particular traders, to such particularly as lived in their own domains, a general exemption from such taxes. Such traders, though in other respects of servile, or very nearly of servile condition, were upon this account called free traders. They, in return, usually paid to their protector a sort of annual poll tax. 
in those days protection was seldom granted without a valuable consideration and this tax might perhaps be considered as compensation for what their patrons might lose by their exemption from other taxes at first both those poll taxes and those exemptions seem to have been altogether personal and to have affected only particular individuals during either their lives or the pleasure of their protectors in the very imperfect accounts which have been published from doomsday book of several of the towns of england mention is frequently made sometimes of the tax which particular burghers paid each of them either to the king or to some other great lord for this sort of protection and sometimes of the general amount only of all those taxes but how servile soever may have been originally the condition of the inhabitants of the towns it appears evidently that they arrived at liberty and independency much earlier than the occupiers of land in the country that part of the king's revenue which arose from such poll taxes in any particular town used commonly to be let in farm during a term of years for a rent certain sometimes to the sheriff of the county and sometimes to other persons the burghers themselves frequently got credit enough to be admitted to farm the revenues of this sort which arose out of their own town they becoming jointly and severally answerable for the whole rent to let a farm in this manner was quite agreeable to the usual economy of i believe the sovereigns of all the different countries of europe who used frequently to let whole manors to all the tenants of those manors they becoming jointly and severally answerable for the whole rent but in return being allowed to collect it in their own way and to pay it into the king's exchequer by the hands of their own bailiff and being thus altogether freed from the insolence of the king's officers a circumstance in those days regarded as of the greatest importance at first the farm of the town was probably let to the burghers in the same manner as it had been to other farmers for a term of years only in process of time however it seems to have become the general practice to grant it to them in fee that is for ever reserving a rent certain never afterwards to be augmented the payment having thus become perpetual the exemptions in return for which it was made naturally became perpetual too those exemptions therefore ceased to be personal and could not afterwards be considered as belonging to individuals as individuals but as burghers of a particular burgh which upon this account was called a free burgh for the same reason that they had been called free burghers or free traders along with this grant the important privileges above mentioned that they might give away their own daughters in marriage that their children should succeed to them and that they might dispose of their own effects by will were generally bestowed upon the burghers of the town to whom it was given whether such privileges had before been usually granted along with the freedom of trade to particular burghers as individuals i know not i reckon it not improbable that they were though i cannot produce any direct evidence of it but however this may have been the principal attributes of villainage and slavery being thus taken away from them they now at least became really free in our present sense of the word freedom nor was this all they were generally at the same time erected into a commonalty or corporation with the privilege of having magistrates and a town council of their own of making by-laws for their own government of building walls for their own defence and of reducing all their inhabitants under a sort of military discipline by obliging them to watch and ward that is as anciently understood to guard and defend those walls against all attacks and surprises by night as well as by day in england they were generally exempted from suit to the hundred and county courts and all such pleas as should arise among them the pleas of the crown excepted were left to the decision of their own magistrates 
In other countries, much greater and more extensive jurisdictions were frequently granted to them. It might, probably, be necessary to grant to such towns as were admitted to farm their own revenues some sort of compulsive jurisdiction to oblige their own citizens to make payment. In those disorderly times, it might have been extremely inconvenient to have left them to seek this sort of justice from any other tribunal. But it must seem extraordinary that the sovereigns of all the different countries of Europe should have exchanged in this manner for a rent certain, never more to be augmented, that branch of their revenue which was, perhaps, of all others, the most likely to be improved by the natural course of things without either expense or attention of their own, and that they should, besides, have in this manner voluntarily erected a sort of independent republics in the heart of their own dominions. In order to understand this, it must be remembered that, in those days, the sovereign of perhaps no country in Europe was able to protect, through the whole extent of his dominions, the weaker part of his subjects from the oppression of the great lords. Those whom the law could not protect, and who were not strong enough to defend themselves, were obliged either to have recourse to the protection of some great lord, and, in order to obtain it, to become either his slaves or vassals, or to enter into a league of mutual defense for the common protection of one another. The inhabitants of cities and burghs, considered as single individuals, had no power to defend themselves, but by entering into a league of mutual defense with their neighbors, they were capable of making no contemptible resistance. The lords despised the burghers, whom they considered not only as a different order, but as a parcel of emancipated slaves, almost of a different species from themselves. The wealth of the burghers never failed to provoke their envy and indignation, and they plundered them upon every occasion without mercy or remorse. The burghers naturally hated and feared the lords. The king hated and feared them too, but though perhaps he might despise, he had no reason either to hate or fear the burghers. Mutual interest, therefore, disposed them to support the king, and the king to support them against the lords. They were the enemies of his enemies, and it was his interest to render them as secure and independent of those enemies as he could. By granting them magistrates of their own, the privilege of making by-laws for their own government, that of building walls for their own defense, and that of reducing all their inhabitants under a sort of military discipline, he gave them all the means of security and independency of the barons which it was in his power to bestow. Without the establishment of some regular government of this kind, without some authority to compel their inhabitants to act according to some certain plan or system, no voluntary league of mutual defense could either have afforded them any permanent security, or have enabled them to give the king any considerable support. By granting them the farm of their own town and fee, he took away from those whom he wished to have for his friends, and, if one may say so, for his allies, all ground of jealousy and suspicion, that he was ever afterwards to oppress them, either by raising the farm rent of their town, or by granting it to some other farmer. The princes who lived upon the worst terms with their barons seem accordingly to have been the most liberal in grants of this kind to their burghs king john of england for example appears to have been a most munificent benefactor to his towns philip i of france lost all authority over his barons towards the end of his reign his son louis known afterwards by the name of louis the fat consulted according to father daniel with the bishops of the royal domains concerning the most proper means of restraining the violence of the great lords their advice consisted of two different proposals one was to erect a new order of jurisdiction by establishing magistrates and a town council in every considerable town of his domains. 
the other was to form a new militia by making the inhabitants of those towns under the command of their own magistrates march out upon proper occasions to the assistance of the king it is from this period according to the french antiquarians that we are to date the institution of the magistrates and councils of cities in france it was during the unprosperous reigns of the princes of the house of Swabia that the greater part of the free towns of germany received the first grants of their privileges and that the famous hanseatic league first became formidable the militia of the cities seems in those times not to have been inferior to that of the country and as they could be more readily assembled upon any sudden occasion they frequently had the advantage in their disputes with the neighbouring lords in countries such as italy or switzerland in which on account either of their distance from the principal seat of government of the natural strength of the country itself or of some other reason the sovereign came to lose the whole of his authority the cities generally became independent republics and conquered all the nobility in their neighborhood obliging them to pull down their castles in the country and to live like other peaceable inhabitants in the city this is the short history of the republic of bern as well as of several other cities in switzerland if you accept venice for of that city the history is somewhat different it is the history of all the considerable italian republics of which so great a number arose and perished between the end of the twelfth and the beginning of the sixteenth century in countries such as france and england where the authority of the sovereign though frequently very low never was destroyed altogether the cities had no opportunity of becoming entirely independent they became however so considerable that the sovereign could impose no tax upon them besides the stated farm rent of the town without their own consent they were therefore called upon to send deputies to the general assembly of the states of the kingdom where they might join with the clergy and the barons in granting upon urgent occasions some extraordinary aid to the king being generally too more favourable to his power their deputies seem sometimes to have been employed by him as a counterbalance in those assemblies to the authority of the great lords hence the origin of the representation of burghs in the states-general of all great monarchies in europe order and good government and along with them the liberty and security of individuals were in this manner established in cities at a time when the occupiers of land in the country were exposed to every sort of violence but men in this defenceless state naturally content themselves with their necessary subsistence because to acquire more might only tempt the injustice of their oppressors on the contrary when they are secure of enjoying the fruits of their industry they naturally exert it to better their condition and to acquire not only the necessaries but the conveniencies and elegancies of life that industry therefore which aims at something more than necessary subsistence was established in cities long before it was commonly practised by the occupiers of land in the country if in the hands of a poor cultivator oppressed with the servitude of villainage some little stock should accumulate he would naturally conceal it with great care from his master to whom it would otherwise have belonged and take the first opportunity of running away to a town the law was at that time so indulgent to the inhabitants of towns and so desirous of diminishing the authority of the lords over those of the country that if he could conceal himself there from the pursuit of his lord for a year he was free for ever whatever stock therefore accumulated in the hands of the industrious part of the inhabitants of the country naturally took refuge in cities as the only sanctuaries in which it could be secure to the person that acquired it the inhabitants of a city it is true must always ultimately derive their subsistence and the whole materials and means of their industry from the country 
but those of a city situated near either the sea-coast or the banks of a navigable river are not necessarily confined to derive them from the country and their neighbourhood they have a much wider range and may draw them from the most remote corners of the world either in exchange for the manufactured produce of their own industry or by performing the office of carriers between distant countries and exchanging the produce of one for that of another a city might in this manner grow up to great wealth and splendor while not only the country in its neighborhood but all those to which it traded were in poverty and wretchedness each of those countries perhaps taken singly could afford it but a small part either of its subsistence or of its employment but all of them taken together could afford it both a great subsistence and a great employment there were however within the narrow circle of the commerce of those times some countries that were opulent and industrious such was the greek empire as long as it subsisted and that of the saracens during the reigns of the abbasides such too was egypt till it was conquered by the turks some part of the coast of barbary and all those provinces of spain which were under the government of the moors the cities of italy seem to have been the first in europe which were raised by commerce to any considerable degree of opulence italy lay in the centre of what was at that time the improved and civilized part of the world the crusades too though by the great waste of stock and destruction of inhabitants which they occasioned they must necessarily have retarded the progress of the great part of europe were extremely favourable to that of some italian cities the great armies which marched from all parts to the conquest of the holy land gave extraordinary encouragement to the shipping of venice genoa and pisa sometimes in transporting them thither and always in supplying them with provisions they were the commissaries if one may say so of those armies and the most destructive frenzy that ever befell the european nations was a source of opulence to those republics the inhabitants of trading cities by importing the improved manufactures and expensive luxuries of richer countries afforded some food to the vanity of the great proprietors who eagerly purchased them with great quantities of the rude produce of their own lands the commerce of a great part of europe in those times accordingly consisted chiefly in the exchange of their own rood for the manufactured produce of more civilized nations thus the wool of england used to be exchanged for the wines of france and the fine cloths of flanders in the same manner as the corn in poland is at this day exchanged for the wines and brandies of france and for the silks and velvets of france and italy a taste for the finer and more improved manufactures was in this manner introduced by foreign commerce into countries where no such works were carried on but when this taste became so general as to occasion a considerable demand the merchants in order to save the expense of carriage naturally endeavoured to establish some manufactures of the same kind in their own country hence the origin of the first manufactures for distant sale that seem to have been established in the western provinces of europe after the fall of the roman empire no large country it must be observed ever did or could subsist without some sort of manufactures being carried on in it and when it is said of any such country that it has no manufactures it must always be understood of the finer and more improved or of such as are fit for distant sale in every large country both the clothing and household furniture or the far greater part of the people are the produce of their own industry this is even more universally the case in those poor countries which are commonly said to have no manufactures than in those rich ones that are said to abound in them in the latter you will generally find both in the clothes and household furniture of the lowest rank of people a much greater proportion of foreign productions than in the former 
those manufactures which are fit for distant sale seem to have been introduced into different countries in two different ways sometimes they have been introduced in the manner above mentioned by the violent operation if one may say so of the stocks of particular merchants and undertakers who established them in imitation of some foreign manufactures of the same kind such manufactures therefore are the offspring of foreign commerce and such seem to have been the ancient manufactures of silks velvets and brocades which flourished in lucca during the thirteenth century they were banished from thence by the tyranny of one of machiavelli's heroes castruccio castracani in thirteen ten nine hundred families were driven out of lucca of whom thirty-one retired to venice and offered to introduce there the silk manufacture their offer was accepted many privileges were conferred upon them and they began the manufacture with three hundred workmen such too seem to have been the manufactures of fine cloths that anciently flourished in flanders and which were introduced into england in the beginning of the reign of elizabeth and such are the present silk manufactures of lions and spitalfields manufactures introduced in this manner are generally employed upon foreign materials being imitations of foreign manufactures when the venetian manufacture was first established the materials were all brought from sicily and the levant the more ancient manufacture of lucca was likewise carried on with foreign materials the cultivation of mulberry trees and the breeding of silkworms seem not to have been common in the northern parts of italy before the sixteenth century those arts were not introduced into france till the reign of charles the ninth the manufactures of flanders were carried on chiefly with spanish and english wool spanish wool was the material not of the first woollen manufacture of england but of the first that was fit for distant sale more than one-half the materials of the lion's manufacture is at this day foreign silk when it was first established the whole or very nearly the whole was so no part of the materials of the spitalfields manufacture is ever likely to be the produce of england the seat of such manufacturers as they are generally introduced by the scheme and project of a few individuals is sometimes established in a maritime city and sometimes in an inland town according as their interest judgment or caprice happen to determine at other times manufacturers for distant sale grow up naturally and as it were of their own accord by the gradual refinement of those household and coarser manufactures which must at all times be carried on even in the poorest and rudest countries such manufactures are generally employed upon the materials which the country produces and they seem frequently to have been first refined and improved in such inland countries as were not indeed at a very great but at a considerable distance from the sea-coast and sometimes even from all water carriage an inland country naturally fertile and easily cultivated produces a great surplus of provisions beyond what is necessary for maintaining the cultivators and on account of the expense of land carriage and inconveniency of river navigation it may frequently be difficult to send this surplus abroad abundance therefore renders provisions cheap and encourages a great number of workmen to settle in the neighbourhood who find that their industry can there procure them more of the necessaries and conveniencies of life than in other places they work up the materials of manufacture which the land produces and exchange their finished work or what is the same thing the price of it for more materials and provisions they give a new value to the surplus part of the rude produce by saving the expense of carrying it to the waterside or to some distant market and they furnish the cultivators with something in exchange for it that is either useful or agreeable to them upon easier terms than they could have obtained it before 
the cultivators get a better price for their surplus produce and can purchase cheaper other conveniencies which they have occasion for they are thus both encouraged and enabled to increase this surplus produce by a further improvement and better cultivation of the land and as the fertility of the land had given birth to the manufacture so the progress of the manufacture reacts upon the land and increases still further its fertility the manufacturers first supply the neighborhood and afterwards as their work improves and refines more distant markets for though neither the rude produce nor even the coarse manufacture could without the greatest difficulty support the expense of a considerable land carriage the refined and improved manufacture easily may in a small bulk it frequently contains the price of a great quantity of rude produce a piece of fine cloth for example which weighs only eighty pounds contains in it the price not only of eighty pounds weight of wool but sometimes of several thousand weight of corn the maintenance of the different working people and of their immediate employers the corn which could with difficulty have been carried abroad in its own shape is in this manner virtually exported in that of the complete manufacture and may easily be sent to the remotest corners of the world in this manner have grown up naturally and as it were of their own accord the manufacturers of leeds halifax sheffield birmingham and wolverhampton such manufactures are the offspring of agriculture in the modern history of europe their extension and improvement have generally been posterior to those which were the offspring of foreign commerce england was noted for the manufacture of fine cloths made of spanish wool more than a century before any of those which now flourish in the places above mentioned were fit for foreign sale the extension and improvement of these last could not take place but in consequence of the extension and improvement of agriculture the last and greatest effect of foreign commerce and of the manufactures immediately introduced by it and which i shall now proceed to explain End of book three chapter three do you love the american constitution we too Please help letting this podcast survive in the current cancel culture. Amazon recently deleted our Peter Kanzler collection, probably for being too cheap. It was Locke, Hobbes and the US Constitution for only 15 bucks. Check out our Peter Kanzler at Barnes & Noble, Lulu or do a quick DuckDuckGo search to buy American collections that come at the lowest price possible to keep civil law great. That's P E T E R K A N Z L E R featuring the original texts from Locke, Hobbes, Rousseau, the US Constitution, Machiavelli, and many more, always bound together in just one book. Thank you very much.